Hey, everybody, welcome to week 11 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi. I am also a career empowerment coach, fiercely dedicated to getting everybody in their careers to where they would prefer to be in 2022. Today is a genuine treat for our listeners. We're going to shift away from the serious a bit today in a good way. You know, everything about careers is always so serious and it's consequently pretty stressful. It doesn't need to be. None of it. None of the performance conversations, none of the endless Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings or presentations that we sit through, none of the team building exercises that we do, none of it has to be boring in a way that it reaches people. And when you think of organizational effectiveness or personal branding in an interview, your mind doesn't immediately consider improv as a solution. But after today's episode, I'm pretty sure you're going to start thinking about it. We're joined by an amazing individual today who, after a pretty interesting career path that I hope she gets into during the episode, but after a run with Chicago's famed Second City Improv Group as one of its faculty members, they also spawned the comedic talent of people like Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Amy Poehler and Jordan Klepper. It also spawned the incredibly talented career of our guest today, Heather Barnes. She's the director of Improv at Work. She works with corporations to institute the art of improv into their day-to-day to improve everything from morale boosting to career development. Heather, welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Wow. Thank you for that intro. And it's an honor to be here. I was really excited. You found me by my website because not many people think about improv and work cultures and you were on it. So thank you. It's not the most talked about solution, but to me, man, it made sense. Tell us about your background, because it's kind of a cool story. As a coach, you know this, I've shared this with you, and I've shared this with our listeners, that most of my clients are the people pivoting careers, and they're taking very different pathways to get to a career that fulfills them. You kind of have that personal background story. Share it with our listeners and how you came to form Improv at Work. Absolutely. Sure. And I I keep shifting careers. My most recent, I just accepted a faculty position at Northwestern University working with the Kellogg MBA students. And I'm learning a ton. I find that I thrive in new industries. And there's a really great resource out there that was a TED Talk about people don't need to stick in one career. And you take everything you've learned from one industry and apply it to another industry. And that's essentially what I've done using improvisational techniques. So I went to graduate school. My first job was consulting, information technology consulting. And boy, it was tough. And I was dying a thousand deaths. And it was learning a whole new language. It was highly technical. I struggled. And I remember my mom saying at one point, just get in the car and drive away. I can't hear you complain anymore. But I'm really glad I stuck that job out. And I was there for three or four years. And I learned an incredible amount of corporate America business skills, agenda planning, meeting planning, project planning. Then when I did shift career, and went into the museum and aquarium world, I used and still use all of those skill sets. So one big note I have for everyone is regardless of where you are in your career, whether you love it or you hate it, you're going to gain essential skills that you can take and apply 
to a different industry. That's so important. That's one of the cool things about a career change. From the dreaded information technology consultant role, I started taking improv classes just to save myself, just for fun. I was really, I felt like my creativity was being crushed. And I saw a Second City show. I brought my sister. I said, do you think I can do this? She said, no, you would be horrible. I, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to do this anyway. I took some classes and just had a lot of fun. And I did find it life-changing. I auditioned for some shows and was cast in some smaller shows in their skybox. I was not on the main stage with Amy Poehler, although I would have loved that. But Jordan Klepper was around the time I was, I'm dating myself around. I was around. So that was a fun name that you referenced. He's, he's amazing. Big, big fan of his. Everything that comes through for him on camera is just true in real life. He's, he's really genuine and charismatic and sharp and smart. So I was taking improv classes and believe it or not, working as a, a still information technology consultant contracted out by the state of Illinois. Someone saw my show and had gone on to work at the Museum of Science and Industry and knew I did great technology work. And they said, hey, would you be interested in applying to work at the Museum of Science and Industry? We're trying to change the way we communicate science and we'd like to use theater and people with a theater background. And I said, yes. And I was so excited. It it was a long interview process, six months. And I talked about how I would integrate improv, how I would use the philosophies of yes and into our work. And I was hired and I also went to Second City and I said, hey, can I use improv at the Museum of Science and Industry to help engage guests, science content? And they said, yes, we would love that. I think museums and science content need help engaging audiences and this could be a great way to do that. So in 2006, I started this work at the Museum of Science and Industry, and we did a really big transformation. And I like to think of improv philosophies and improvisational techniques as a core philosophy for how we changed the culture, how we auditioned and hired people, how we conducted our trainings. There were lots of applications. And then I was recruited by someone that worked at Shedd Aquarium and said, would you like to interview for directing our aquatic presentation? And I said, no, I've never worked with marine mammals. I think I would be horrible. And that system is so complex. Our sets at Second City are pretty basic. They're pretty standard. And and here there are animals and lighting and design. And there's so many complicated facets to pulling off an aquatic presentation. And they said, listen, it's not about knowing that. We'll teach you that. It's about your philosophy and how you engage guests. It's about your educational approach that we are looking for. We want to increase participation and increase guest involvement. And that's the piece. And so I loved working at Shedd Aquarium. Every single day was amazing. And I was there for a bit over four years. They were incredible through the pandemic, just fantastic. And uh, I just left to, to do more of this work on my own because I founded Improv at Work in 2014. I LLC'd in 2017. Because I was being asked around the country to work with universities and mostly doctors in the medical fields to better increase their communication and to better increase science communication. Now I am full-time LLC at Improv at Work director and founder. I continue to do all that work. I work with many different industries now, theme park, law firms, biggest bunch of work is with science communication at various universities around the country. I was recently joined Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern and will be teaching MBA students presentation skills, which will be so fun. That's amazing. When you talk about improv at work, it's such a truly unique mission. You touched a little bit upon this, but I want to dig a little bit further. When a company reaches out to your company, what types of issues are they coming to you to create solutions for? 
It's a range. There are specific requests. I just had a few come in last week. We are celebrating our new residents and we'd like to foster a more collaborative environment. And we've heard you do a fantastic science communication workshop and we'd like to set the tone. Another client said, we're doing great work, this nonprofit organization. And we have found though that our departments work in silos and people aren't connecting and collaborating on projects and it's creating a visitor experience that feels a bit disjointed the volunteers are doing one thing and the education department is doing another thing and the exhibits crew is doing another thing and our conservationists are giving different messages and so sometimes i'll be brought into increased collaboration and to help people better understand effective collaboration and project planning. Sometimes it will be straight up team building. We would like to have fun. We'd like to recognize our employees, do a bit of reward and recognition. Those are my favorite because then we can truly focus on the laughter and it's always exciting to just celebrate. A recent client came in and said, we've got a bunch of new leaders and we'd like to work on professional development and new skill sets with new leaders. So I will touch on coaching employees and creating a positive culture and tone and reward and recognition programs and what goes into making a good one. But some will drill down on strategies for good reward and recognition programs. So it's highly tailored to each client, to each need. The lengths are different. It can be a a full day. It can be week long. It can be work I'm doing right now at the Desert Botanical Gardens in Phoenix, Arizona. It's been several months. It's been a grant-funded project. And so it really varies, which is also what makes it fun. What are some of the solutions and applications you've workshopped with your clients for some of these requests? Yeah. For a more integrated approach, I'll work with leaders and I will talk about how to create a positive culture and why it's so important. And then I'll specifically work with them to help identify negative policy, punitive approaches, and what could be done in place of that to make them more positive. For example, I used this experience so many times. I came in to an organization and there was a manager just yelling at people. Everybody needs to be here on time. We have a museum to open. It's really important. You, you know, you all aren't being on time. And that person was yelling at the people that were on time, that were in the room and not reaching the people that the message needed to get to. So one good example of integrating a yes and approach instead of a no was let's recognize all the people that have been on time in a given month. We'll put everybody's names in a hat and draw names per team and they'll get a gift card to the place of their choice. And that way it became celebratory and everyone was cheering for everyone that had perfect attendance. That does a few things. It lets the team members know that you're tracking and that you care. It positively reinforces team members that are doing a great job And it encourages team members to celebrate other team members' accomplishments. And in the beginning, when we started this work, I remember getting pushback and someone saying to me, you can't reward employees for doing their job. That's what they're paid to do. And I was like, well, no, no, you absolutely have to reward people for doing their job. Other examples, I'll help people integrate improv exercises in their culture. So for organizations that really would like to do I teach them exercises, then I leave them with the toolkit of how to implement them. Other organizations have asked me, they say, we want to shift our interviews from one-to-one to to group. Recently in February, worked with a theme park and water park that is shifting and training new employees on how to lead larger group auditions so they can see several people at once. And so I look at their agenda, I give them feedback. They demonstrated some of the exercises they'd like to do. So we tweaked that. They actually ran a mock audition with me in it, which was fun. 
And then we debriefed the activities and we debriefed the debrief, meaning how are you asking questions after the exercises to talk about the skill sets? A lot of people think about improv as being funny or being on Saturday Night Live, which my dad still asked me when I'm going to be on that. I'm like, no, <laughs> past, past that. <laughs> but this is about using the philosophies of improv to think about your work culture, to think about ways to have fun with employees. And I think it's important to do that throughout the entire employee life cycle. It just can't be a one-off. That's an important message to share. I can fully see how much impact improv would have in the workplace. Here's a question for you, however, that you just mentioned When I think of improv, I think of a stage, I think of actors, I think of Second City, I think of whose line is it anyway, I think of SNL. We're in a very virtual time. How do you magnify an improv mindset into a virtual framework? Oh, I love that question because this is where I was flat out wrong. First of all, (laughs) I I didn't think you could do it. So I was working with this brilliant professor at the University of Oregon. We were on this NSF-funded project where I was supposed to physically come to her classroom in 2020 and teach some classes. And she called me up and said, I was getting all these calls of everything being canceled. I thought, all right, she's calling me to cancel. She's like, hey, we're going to do this online. And in my head, I was like, you can't do improv online. I didn't say that. I was like, well, what about rescheduling the class to 2021? She's like, nope. She got on line with me and we practiced some exercises. We used breakout rooms. We used the chat function. We had a ball. And then she and I, I took a class at Second City and was fortunate. They helped me look at ways to shift some of the exercises to a virtual environment. I learned that it's okay to make a mistake. Your audience is way more important. But the biggest thing I learned was that I think in-person improv is like a 10. It's so fun. It's rewarding. It's engaging. And at the end of the class, I kind of thought, yeah, that that works. It wasn't that bad. I'd maybe give it a, a five, maybe a six. But here's what changed me. There was a person that in the class said, Heather, I'm so grateful that Second City offers these classes online because I am in the military and I move every few weeks and the course structure there is eight weeks. And he said, I would have never had the chance to do this if this weren't an option for me. And I thought, wow. And then there was a woman huddled in her tiny New York City bathroom. She's like, I live in New York City in a tiny one bedroom apartment with with my two kids. And I'm in this bathroom doing this class. So I have adult interaction because it was the pandemic. She had had no adult interaction. And she said, this is the first time I've laughed. I thought, you know, who am I to judge that just because you can't do it in person doesn't mean you can't do it. And I practiced, I failed. The resources were fabulous. And I learned you absolutely can. And then that business took off. And so I was actually doing law firm senior partner retreats, doing improv exercises for reward and recognition and team building online, which was really fun. And they they loved it. It was really fun. And one poor lawyer kept getting put in a breakout room by himself. And he thought it was a psychology experiment. He's like, it's fine. I just went and got a glass of wine. I, I kept getting put in a breakout. So it's not perfect, but it worked. You set those expectations. Hey, this could be clunky. This might happen. That might happen. People are really patient. I believe firmly in being able to do some of this work in a virtual environment. Again, not my preference, but it can happen and it can be really important. And I caught a virtual class at Northwestern for faculty about how to be engaging in a virtual environment. How do you teach your classes and still use participation theories and elements and integrate and hear from your audience throughout? A lot of what you're promoting is so 
timely with that whole bit of inclusion. You're inspiring engagement. You did this at so many different vantage points, Shed Aquarium and museums and things like that. When I spoke with you initially, what left an imprint on me was when you shared with me the power that improv can have on teamwork. When I think of leaders who are trying to stop the turnover, avoid burnout, When I think of leaders trying to cultivate new teams in a virtual environment where you may have interviewed somebody, you may not meet them for the next six months face-to-face given a hybrid work environment. In what ways can improv aid in building teams? So improv is about the other people in the room. And that's the first thing. If you're nervous, which we often are when we're communicating or if we're getting ready to do a presentation or if you're a new employee, you're focusing on yourself and how can you focus on the team and what the team needs. And there's research out there that talks about when teams work together and play games together, they're more likely to help one another out. So it is so true when you have a space where you're laughing and working together to complete something, and it can be an improv game or it can be Candyland. I don't care. It can be any kind of game or it can be a question game. There are sophisticated games. I probably shouldn't have gone to Candyland, but when you're working together to accomplish things, teamwork increases. It also shows vulnerability, which is so important now and empathy, and it allows for everybody's voice to come in. So if we're going to do an exercise and I'm going to say my name and gesture, Heather, and then you're going to do something completely different. It's your own creativity that I'm yes anding, that I'm listening to and accepting and, and putting back out there in the world. That can be great. And I like to take that philosophy to the next level and say for leaders in person or on Zoom or in a virtual environment, how can you recap what someone's saying? Andrea, great question about how improv can build teams. It strengthens teams. It can create laughter and generate positivity. I love this topic and can clearly go on forever. So there's ways you can get other people's voices in. Let's consider one of the most important venues where we got to get our voice in, and that's interviews. Yeah. Are there specific improv techniques that someone could practice and apply to interviews that would make them more memorable, more interactive, and so forth? And please look at it from both sides of the table or the screen, if you will, the interviewer and the interviewee. First of all, if you're an interviewer, your job is to create a comfortable space. So many companies are like, I'm going to try and cut them down and tear them apart. Well, you're probably not going to get an accurate reflection of the team member. So my philosophy, and they did this at Second City, even if you were auditioning for the main stage, they treated you like a million dollars and they made you feel great. And they said great things. Seeing people at their best has always been my focus. I know that's debatable and, and we can unpack that a bit later. But from an interviewee, smiling, being genuine, paraphrasing questions so that it gives your mind to think is a really nice strategy. Try to be mindful of this. I'll do mirroring. So if someone's energy is really big and fun, then I try mirror that. If someone's energy is more calm and deliberate, then I try to match that. There's research out there that says is a a good thing and it helps you match with people a bit more. It's something that I often share with my clients that are interviewing for jobs is read the room, read the Mm -hmm. room, get the energy in the room. Because if you come in overly boisterous, that may freak them out Mm -hmm. a bit. If you come in a little bit under the weather than somebody who's boisterous themselves, they may say you're not a good cultural fit. Right. So yeah. Read the room, listen to what your audience wants. So if someone's asking you an interview question, Try not to give detail after detail after detail. Try to succinctly figure out what they're looking for. 
and answer them and then ask if that answered the question and, and have some give and take so that I could get feedback if I was doing well. And I might say something like, did that answer your question? Or could you reframe? Or it sounds like this. Just to do more checking in with the interviewer, if you're the interviewee, to see how things are going. Because they'll give you immediate feedback. That's a great tip to think about. Because you're right. Not every day is your best day. You're not Mm -hmm. always bringing your best self to the table. Something that is paramount to everybody right now. Putting themselves in a position of... I've got to make light of a heavy situation with the pandemic. What can improv do to lift spirits in an organization that's faced with a lot of turnover Mm -hmm. and a lot of people that are just really dragging day by day? So first and foremost, every organization I'm working with, every industry I am working with is struggling with a staffing problem. So this is across the country, across the board, in every law firms, museums, aquariums, regardless of the industry, it's it's a thing and it's real. One of the things I love about improv is teaching resiliency and how do you look at things in a positive situation and how do you reframe things? That's what's going to be required for resiliency moving forward. And you can look at the day and say, this is awful and this is terrible. And there are many cases that are. Also then train your brain to look at what some of the pauses are or some of the wins. I had a great conversation with Andrea today and that cheered me up. You've got to be able to find those things and sort of retrain your brain. I love this example. (laughs) This was years ago and I was getting ready to teach a workshop for Northwestern faculty and I had to be there 7 a.m. So I got up at 5 a.m. real early when I'm not a morning person and photographer going to come and take photos from my website. All of my hot water was off. The building sent out a notification and there was no hot water. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have any hot water. I can't take a shower. This is horrible. I've got this workshop. I've got a photographer coming. Like, this is terrible. And I kept saying to myself, I can't believe, you know, I pay rent. I pay whatever. This is unacceptable. And I was in such a negative place. And I thought, hey, let's play that improv game. Turn a positive into a negative. This is America. I have tons of water. I have lots of water. So I turned on the water and I boiled the water in the water pot and I made hot water and I had water to fix my hair and to wash my face and to do like a sponge. I was like, there's water everywhere. I have water in the sink. I have a, I have a stove. Look at all of this water I have. And I left for that workshop. It was kind of absurd and funny, but I left in such a better headspace. So I feel like I made the most of it. And I think I use that example in the actual workshop. And so improv isn't going to solve your day. It's not going to make everything better, but it can, if you're open, help you better phrase things and think through things and build resiliency and look at some positives and look at where the yeses have been in your day. Uh, We're trained as humans. And I do this all the time. I could have 10 things go well in a day. And I go home and think about the one altercation I had with a staff member or the one uncomfortable conversation I had with another director. And I drill on it. And it's the only thing I can think of. And that's wrong. That's that's bad thinking. And it's a real thing. And so I just have to be mindful. I'm doing it. This is bad. And I have to make myself go back and look at the good things. Coaching, I talk a lot about shifting negative catabolic energy that brings you down and everyone around you down to the anabolic side where you're at least trying to find the bright side of things, at least at the bare minimum. Can you share with me some significant wins that you've seen companies transform as a result of implementing improv? It's so funny. I love this. We shifted 
to group auditions at the Museum of Science and Industry. And we immediately were able to hire people, a higher level of skill sets and the skill sets in which we were looking for and people that were smiling and people that were people, people, anyone can tell you one-on-one, sure, I'm a team player. I love people. But when you put everyone in that environment where you're having to multitask and process information and share information, work as a team, you can see the skill sets rather than just talk about them. In my view, we were able to hire a higher level quality of staff. When I, the reason I say this is that when I came to Shed Aquarium, I immediately implemented group auditions instead of one-on-one interviews. And we hired fabulous team members and other people in the organization were commenting. They're saying, these people are fantastic. Where are you getting them? The hires, the quality is so much higher. And I attribute that to having a different onboarding process, to setting different expectations, to having different interviews. And so that's one example of many I could talk about, but I like that one because it's so concrete. It's also a testament to the improvisational group technique. If you're going to bring people into an organization, shouldn't they meet and see them interact with one another and how they riff off each other? That improvisation. How do you feed off each other? How do you work together? That's why I think what you're doing is so ingenious. Do you have maybe an example of how you've been able to take a situation where you knew going into it, these people, this is a really interesting concept for them, but they're not quite buying into it. Oh yeah. Yeah. On that last question, we would get thank you notes from people that auditioned saying this was the best audition of my life. This was the best interview. I made a new friend. I went on a date with someone after the audition. We would get these notes that were just hilarious. And it was fun because it was unsolicited feedback about what we were set out to do. And, and we were setting the tone. We were fun culture. I have to say this. I love pathologists dearly, but I remember meeting a pathologist once and I told him what I did. And he said, ah, I know people like you. We hate people like you. We are introverts and we do not want to engage but you must continue. Your work is very important. We work on multidisciplinary teams now and we need more help. Imagine my fear when a department of pathology was like, can you come in and lead a workshop? And I walked in and you could cut the tension with a knife. I mean, I was getting downright glares from every single person. You could hear pin drop. And at the end, I I keep thank you note. I'm going to read it real quick because it's short. This was written in 2016 and I hang on to it. Dear Heather, we all wanted to thank you for coming to, I'll fill in the blank with the school, in providing us with a fun-filled workshop. We all gained such insight from all of the exercises in the improv session. To be honest, all of our inner actors came out, but above all, everyone had a lot of fun. We hope to further our own communication skills. Thank you so much for coming. And I, I went back a few times within that organization and it just is such a good example of how even when people think they can't do it or aren't even open to it. And when go through some of the exercises and see the difference, the impact is tremendous. But it also highlights something that's always been a huge pet peeve of mine, whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, or it's some sort of challenge that a company is having, change management. Many companies choose to implement a strategy and it's a box check. They don't take it seriously. They don't, they go in with that very same attitude, the pathology just said that this can't change us, this can't transform us. And it's a transaction versus a transformation. Mm -hmm. You just shared two very transformational examples of what improv can do in the workplace. Share with me how you keep it sustainable. Yeah, that's a thing. And I still, I struggle with that. I love what Alan Alda, there's a wonderful center in Stony Brook Island, New York. Science communication takes time. All of this 
if someone runs up to me and says, Alan, can you make me a brilliant science communicator? I have a talk tonight at eight. That's like someone coming up and saying, hey, I've got a show at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra tonight at eight, and I don't know any Mozart. Can you teach me Mozart on the piano real quick so I can be ready? I've got one hour. And I love that analogy because it's it's ongoing. And so it takes change management. It takes buy-in from the top and all levels. And I made some mistakes at MSI and ruffled lots of feathers going about things that I didn't bring some of my counterparts along. So it takes change management on the side, above, below, all the levels in sophisticated planning and integration. And that planning needs to be on an ongoing basis. It can't be a one-off or this is the flavor of the week. Whether it's a reward and recognition program or integrating improv for auditions, it has to be throughout the entire employee life cycle. And so one of the things that I do if I go into an organization, I help look at on a long-term project, the processes and structures to support integrating things on an ongoing basis. One of the pieces I teach is how do we look at job descriptions? How do we look at our, not only our hiring practices, but our recruitment practices Mm -hmm. and then our onboarding practices. And then how are we training people throughout looking at the entire employee life cycle and not just one component is critical to make it sustainable. It can't be a one-off and think that everything's fixed. I rely on again, improvisational techniques to tell me, think about what those different structures and processes are to make things sustainable. But that's the important part. If you're going to try and transform any culture, where are the process points that you can shift and integrate throughout the entire course of a year? Can't just be three months. It's a milestone process from hire to retire. Companies need to look at things as an evolutionary process where it's ongoing. And it may be, as you were saying about your career, it took a lot of different pathways to get to the end result, which is where you're happiest, where you feel empowered, you feel like you can make the most impact. So thank you. What can you speak to specifically about the programs that Improv at Work offers to clients? Well, I listen to what their needs are, and then I talk about what we could do. And again, it varies tremendously from six-month projects to week-long projects to one-day workshops. So I really listen and tailor accordingly. In terms of the gamut of things I offer, we've touched a little bit on it. Team building, reward and recognition, shifting a negative culture to a positive culture, science communication workshops. Sometimes I blend a few things. Communication within multidisciplinary teams. So even law firms working with clients, working with other law firms, certainly with like the field of pathology, working with cytologists and cytotechs and pathologists and better, better integrating stronger communication strategies of how you can paraphrase what you've heard, ask open-ended questions, follow up. So it's really tailored and vast. Sometimes I think I need to narrow my focus to build (laughs) and that will be something I think about in 2022 and beyond is do I want to narrow one focus package or industry? I just have so much fun doing this in a highly tailored way. And I see the impact in different ways based on different needs and based on different goals. Depends on what the client needs and what they're looking for. I know that's probably a, like a cop-out answer. I love the customization. I think that's brilliant because everybody needs something a little bit different. Yeah. What about how they can reach you? What's the best yes. strategy to reach you? I was going to go, I was going to say, go to my website and see all of these vast examples and think about what your organization could need and benefit from. 
the best way to reach me is my website, uh, improvisationatwork.com. It's long and clunky. It's spelled I-M-P-R-O-V-I-S-A-T-I-O-N at A-T. Not the little at sign. That's also confusing. <laughs> improvisationatwork.com. My email's there and, and I respond very quickly. I think I was on vacation. And I even responded to you pretty fast. And then my favorite kind of work is when you have the longer projects where you can make more of an impact one day workshops are great and they help create awareness, but it doesn't change people over time necessarily, but it can begin to make a shift and it can teach some strategies. It was fun. I did do a a one day faculty training and then I came back a year later and they asked me to do like a level B that was more advanced building on the same topics. And I started that session by saying, what did everyone take away? It was fascinating to hear what some of the faculty took away. One faculty member said, I always ask within the first 60 seconds an open-ended question of the room. Someone else said, I apply yes and to my students instead of saying no in the classroom. It's cool what people take away and it's different. I hope that our listeners took away just how valuable improv can really be. It can be a true transformational effect on a company, the way that you come across as an individual trying to get a job or even Mm -hmm. try to build a team. I want to thank Heather Barnes for her insight today. I've had so much fun. We will definitely have you back for a future show. This is not a checkbox for sure. (laughs) We're going to sustain this message. We're going to, we're going to riff off each other. Thank you so much, friend. I really appreciate this. I do hope that everybody feels that improv has a place in the workplace and check out Heather Barnes's website. That's all we have for you this week. We will see you here next week. Same time, same place, more power.